Hey, I'm Matt Ruby. And I'm Rob Kramer. Welcome to another episode of Hell and Wellness. And I am a fan of a lot of health and wellness stuff, but also suspicious of other stuff. And I am uh, someone who has been on the health and wellness craze chase for probably 25, 30 years and have probably gotten a little bit more suspicious as time goes on. Um, But for the most part, uh, I'm willing to try. Yeah. And this episode I'm excited about because it's something that I have personal experience with. It's been a huge impact in my life. And I feel like, you know, a lot of times, you know, you hear about stuff, you're like, I don't know about this. And then you you try and you're like, damn, that, that thing is something else. And so we're getting into one of those topics today. So I'm excited about that. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this. I know that uh, you've had some deep dive experiences with the ayahuasca tea, and I've had limited experience, although one very profound experience. Cool. Let's get into it. And quick note, we are not doctors. This is not medical advice. Don't take us that seriously and change your life and inject things or anything like that. We're here to entertain you, to give you our perspective on the world of wellness. So please, before you do anything serious, check with the doctor. All right. I am excited for this episode, Rob. We are going to be talking about ayahuasca. Uh, I have done ayahuasca over 10 times now, uh, did it once maybe uh, in 2003 in Peru, and then more recently uh, I've done it uh, ceremonies with a Peruvian shaman in Brooklyn. And I, you know, when people ask me about it, kind of like my quick response is it's the most uh, significant spiritual experience that I've had in my life. Um, and it's uh, really was sort of a, a mind-blowing thing, and I'm excited to take a deep dive on it. I guess first, let me let me ask you, have, have you tried ayahuasca? Do you know about it? How do you feel about it? Yeah, I have tried ayahuasca in the old, in the good old days when um, I'm certain, and you'll probably share this, that ayahuasca has been around for a long, long time. I, I tried it 20 years ago. Uh, I have not tried it since it became, uh, in my view, in vogue and almost a little bit of a cottage industry. And I certainly have only tried it once. And you are the veteran here in the ayahuasca camp. Well, yeah, I, I think if someone who lives in the Amazon and heard that ayahuasca from 20 years ago was uh, old, they, they'd scoff at both of us, you know, because, uh, you know, I think 20 years ago is still pretty modern considering like for centuries, if not thousands of years in, in the jungle, in the Amazon, they've been using this uh, for medicinal purposes. Um, you know, I, I'd say in Brazil, Peru, Colombia seem to be like the places where it's most popular. Um, and I, th- I think maybe just like a good sort of like elementary walkthrough for listeners who maybe aren't familiar with what we're talking about. It's a hallucinogenic tea. Um, like I said, it comes from the Amazon. You usually do it in a ceremony with a shaman. Uh, you'll drink the tea. Uh, it tastes pretty crappy. Uh, and then you'll go on a psychedelic journey that can last for, uh, I would say, typically in my experience, around four to five hours. Um, for some people there can be vomiting involved and I've noticed that that's when I talk about it with people who aren't familiar with it or just have a superficial knowledge that seems to be a huge hang-up which is kind of fascinating to me because having gone through the experience vomiting is not an important or notable sort of part of the experience yet it seems to be a big hang-up for a lot of people when they hear about they're like oh you vomit well I would just never do that forget about it Um, yeah I've, I've had that experience as well where and I did vomit 
uh, my first experience, but I can't, uh, I can honestly say that every person I've ever talked about uh, ayahuasca to, or that has talked to me about ayahuasca, vomiting is probably the first or second sentence out of their mouth. Yeah. And it's interesting because in my personal experience, when I did vomit, I would say, you know, maybe a third to half the times I've done it, I vomited. And it was interestingly, to me anyway, always tied in with an actual thought or emotion. Uh, so thinking about something related to a family member or something like that. And I would have this realization. Uh, I'll give you an example. For uh, My father was a prosecutor and uh, he was very much a judgmental person who had a lot of uh, opinions about a lot of things. And I remember being on ayahuasca the first time I did it and realizing that uh, as I was lying down on my side uh, that I needed to apologize to every ex-girlfriend that I've ever had because my father was a prosecutor who sort of uh, bred me in this realm of, of being judgmental and, and looking for faults and, and that sort of, and as the word prosecutor hit my brain, the vomit rose up inside of me and came out of me. And so uh, to me, it was always almost like a purging and like the vomiting was just sort of ayahuasca's way of, of highlighting this, this thing for you. Because when a word makes you vomit, you don't ever forget that for the rest of your life. You know, I'm going to always remember that. Maybe will you take us through the the top of like you've referred to something as set and setting, like just set the stage for what makes an ayahuasca ceremony an ayahuasca ceremony. I know you take the tea and but there's something around this notion of set and setting. Maybe talk a little bit about that because I didn't really have that when I was. Uh, first doing ayahuasca. Yeah. So I I would maybe break down, there seems to be three different common versions of how people are doing ayahuasca. Um, so one is the South American adventure, uh, which is becoming increasingly popular now where you can you know find it online, go to Peru or Costa Rica or Brazil or somewhere else, immerse yourself. Oftentimes it's 10 days to two weeks that you're going to a jungle location with a shaman and a group of people uh, and you're doing it multiple times over this uh, span. Uh, I haven't done that actual version. I think it probably is the ideal way to do it if you could, you know, and found, you know, a reputable spot. Um, the version that I've done most frequently is with a Peruvian shaman who does ceremonies in America. Um, specifically for me, it was in Brooklyn, uh, located at a yoga studio after hours. Um, and the shaman is still conducting a ceremony He's the way he would in the jungle, but obviously you're here in uh, Brooklyn and having a different experience. So it's about, you're in the, you're in the Brooklyn jungle at a yoga studio exactly. with all of the, all of the scary elements of being in that yoga studio. Um, yeah. And there's about, you know, I would say 15 people or so on average, um, I would say if I had to break it down, about one third, I would say, are people who work in, you know, either mental health or nurses or uh, social workers, wellness type people. I would say another third is, you know, sort of seekers or artists or people in that realm. And then another third are maybe people who've had some experience with uh, PTSD or trauma or depression or something else. And they are there for an actual, you know, uh, purpose to try to, you know, uh, heal themselves in some specific way because they're dealing with something. How did this ayahuasca craze, my word, obviously, um, how did this craze, this trend, this sort of interest in ayahuasca amongst what I would suggest are coastal elites or coastal yogis or health and wellness minded people come about? 
Like when did this thing start? So it's a good question. I feel like um, I kind of want to, before we get to that, let me finish with sort of the ceremonial aspects if I can, because I feel like I've set the table. So I want to finish putting the silverware out there, (laughs) which is, you know, we've got these 15 people together in a room at a yoga studio in Brooklyn. And uh, what happens is that you uh, sort of gather there, you know, for about an hour, there's just sort of like a, you, you get into the, the mode of what's about to happen. Then you all drink the tea with the shaman. Uh, and then in about 45 minutes or so, it takes hold. Uh, the shaman is singing throughout. He's chanting these songs called Ikaros, uh, which are songs from the jungle that, uh, are part of the ceremony. The music kind of interacts with the medicine in a way that's really interesting. One of the songs welcomes ayahuasca into the room. And then you kind of feel like these songs are, uh, sort of dancing with, with the drug in some way, which is kind of fascinating. Um, and then, you know, as it takes hold, you know, you, there can be vomiting. I think some people uh, occasionally have some issues with diarrhea or something like that. I've never had anything like that, nor does anyone I know has, hasn't had that, but I've heard of it happening. Um, you can get up and like go to the bathroom, but otherwise you're just sitting still. I'd say the closest experience to it uh, drug wise that I've had is, is mushrooms, but it's, uh, uh, definitely more intense. It's not something you're like on mushrooms. I would go through a walk in the woods with my friends and have a conversation. This, I am not going anywhere. I'm barely able to move. I am lying in place and I'm, it's an inward journey that you're having, uh, and in sort of conversation with the plant medicine. Now to get to your question about the popularity of it, um, I, I've, at first, I obviously had been on my radar for decades because I, you know, I think uh, when I first did mushrooms, they kind of like cracked my head wide open and I really got into psychedelics and reading Terrence McKenna. Uh, I think maybe Daniel Pinchbeck wrote a book that mentioned ayahuasca and uh, I had heard, you know, it, to say it's a current fad, I think like William Burroughs and a lot of the, the beats in like the 50s and 60s uh, were also into it. Um, so I think it's, it's been around in the counterculture for a while now, but I think it's definitely bubbled up in the past decade. I would give a lot of credit to the internet. I mean, I feel like, you know, when people can sort of break free from mainstream media and, you know, start talking about stuff on Reddit or there's more documentaries now or, you know, YouTube videos, you know, and it is like this overwhelming sort of, you know, spiritual experience that you have that people talk about. And then when you hear people talk about it, it definitely like piques your interest. Um, I think if you're an explorer or a seeker, you know, one of those people in, one of those groups that I talked about before when you start hearing people having these revelations. Um, and, you know, I think even within the military, there's a lot of people suffering from PTSD who now have started go, you know, taking ayahuasca or going to these ceremonies or, you know, like Navy SEALs or people who would, you would never think, you know, or, uh, would go to South America in order to, to do ayahuasca are, uh, are doing it in order to deal with their PTSD and trauma. And I think that's, you know, as our society is sort of confronting these issues of trauma and PTSD and depression and anxiety and so many other things that have also been on the rise, I think there's a natural sort of response from, you know, searching for answers and maybe this, the universe reaching out to us in some way being like, hey, if you want to heal, come this way. I've got some medicine that can help you with that. Um, and we actually have a clip from uh, one of the most recent times that I've seen it discussed in the media was on uh, a surprising source, which was HBO's Real, Real Sports uh, that went with a uh, this hockey sort of goon enforcer guy who was now suffering from uh, you know too many concussions, CTE, and, and dealing with that and having all kinds of uh, horrible things happen in his life and goes to South America and does ayahuasca and is like miraculously better afterwards. Or is it a miracle? I think it's actually just sort of 
logical in a lot of ways. But uh, if why don't we go ahead and play that clip, and that can uh, bridge us into this next part of the conversation. In a steamy jungle in Peru, far from the frozen hockey rinks of the NHL, two-time like Stanley have the, Cup champion. I like how Daniel we have the crickets Carcilla in there. We're we're setting the stage. We know where we are. On a mission to find a cure for what ails him and save his own life. You're not getting better. That's when hopelessness creeps in. So let's stop it right there. So this is this uh, NHL guy, played for years, and was total like the enforcer guy on the team who's constantly like getting in fights. And I don't know if you're a hockey fan at all, but like a lot of those guys have, you know, like football players, offensive linemen, just deep in the weeds of CTE. And afterwards, and uh, the segment discusses how he's like, he's like borderline suicidal, depressed all the time, can't get out of bed, all that stuff. So let's keep going with it. I think through these suicidal thoughts and how I could execute that just to stop the pain that's it you know then maybe i'll be at peace we'd stop it there like i think to talk about your question rob why is it having this moment i think those are conversations that are happening now way more than they ever did before too people being open about depression open about anxiety open about suicidal thoughts and being like i'm in trouble and i need help that wasn't really something that happened in our culture back in the 80s yeah so i guess the one thing, and and I want to talk in a moment about what brings you back time and time again to now have had 10 ayahuasca experiences, but my sense of it, knowing people, I literally know one man, one person who has told me, and I believe him, that he's had a, over 150 ayahuasca experiences. And I've had a deep dive conversation with him and I've talked to people, especially in New York, LA, Silicon Valley, who've done this. And there's a level of sort of almost, I don't know any other way of describing it, but kind of um, medicinal um, shamanistic irresponsibility. This notion that you can use and abuse something that you have no real connection to because you don't live in the Amazon, you don't live amongst the plants. You probably don't even understand the plant as it is other than having the drug-induced experience and how lots of people in America, typical for American sort of consumerism uh, sort of mentality, will take something like this, they'll run with it, it becomes a subculture, it becomes a cool, hip thing to do, and yet it becomes, it feels more recreational. For sure, there are people, and in fact, I was an investor at one point in a company that uh, was using, or using therapists and LSD to bring people through PTSD experiences, which is phenomenal and we know there's a lot of research and there's an organization called MAPS that's focused on this. Um, and they're actually getting these drugs off schedule one to, so they can actually help more people like this NHL guy and people have come back from war and combat. But I'm a little bit concerned and have been that uh, there is a recreational side of this that is just being um, irresponsibly used. So maybe you can speak to that a little bit and what you've, yeah. your experience has been. Well, that's good because I think I forgot the third mode of doing it uh, when I was talking about, which seems to be not with a shaman, not with someone who's trained, maybe more as like a 
sort of uh you know some guy you met at burning man and now you're over at his house and three people are doing it there and you're just getting you know fucked up and seeing what happens um which i have not been part of and i definitely would not recommend i think you know the ceremony and having uh, a shaman who's sort of trained in it and uh, experienced with it and from that uh, preferably from the culture where it comes from i think really heightens um sort of what you get out of the experience um, so that said, I mean, the thing that I would counter with is it is not a party drug. It is not a good time. It is not fun. You are there to do some work. So this, I, and, uh, just because someone's done it 150 times, like the shaman also does it when he's doing it with you. So every, you know, reputable shaman has probably done it thousands of times. Um, and to just, you know, dismiss, uh, the the experience based on the volume that someone has done it i don't think is is fair um in part because it's not a good time this is not molly this is not mushrooms this is not uh you know you're gonna go to a rave or a music festival or something like that like you're gonna lie down and you're gonna look deep inside yourself and like if you've got anything that's you know like you've been hiding or repressing under the surface it's gonna come grab it and put it in front of your face and show it to you and make you confront some things in a really like deep way. So it, w- my experience with mind altering drugs, hallucinogenics has been the experiences were so profound that the time between the experiences was even more valuable than trying to recreate the experience again. Because in fact, there are times I've done, it's been 10 years between certain types of experiences. And and I have found that reflecting on that, integrating that in relation to having a profound experience that I now have to understand, contemplate, integrate into my life, which is not particularly um, possible if you are continually taking part in hallucinogenic mind-altering experiences. That's my issue with my one friend, I will call him, who has 150. He has a bit of uh, inflated view of his strength and possibility and changing the world. And it's all relative to the experience of ayahuasca over and over five, six times a month. Like, how do you sustain that? Yeah, that sounds uh, like a lot to me. And I agree with you. I'm a fan of integration. And I think uh, I'm a fan of dynamic dynamics in general in life. I think anything that you uh, have to have all the time is, you know, borderline a crutch. And like, uh, maybe you have to examine how much it's helping you versus it's something that you're, you know, just need to have. Um, and I, you know, to me, it's sort of uh, to have that space and that bandwidth in your head to be like, okay, that I had that experience. Let me take a few weeks, a few months, you know, for me, I'm usually, you know, uh, uh, at least a few months between experiences. Um, I do know people who do it more frequently. I'm sort of on the fence, but I'm also, I, I, I find it tough sometimes to judge other people's experiences in a way if, if it's a substance that's not actually like doing them physical harm. You know, if like there is no, you can't overdose on ayahuasca. There is no negative, you know, repercussions. You're not frying your brain. You're not doing any of these other things that to me, it's sort of like, hard how do to, you know, how do you know you're not frying your brain? Like what evidence do you have that you're not? Uh, I mean, I guess you'd have to find, uh, I mean, frying your brain is not a, a medical term. So I guess we're, we're in the of weeds a little bit uh, already, but like uh, for overdosing. Negatively uh, impacting. Oh, oh, the yeah, develop, the healthy I, I development I would, of your neurons and dendrites and you know cells. How do we know that? 
I mean, I guess I don't know that I, as the same way I don't know that playing tennis doesn't do that. You know, it's like I can't prove it as a, an absolute sort of thing. But, uh, you know, like like mushrooms, uh, you know, it's a sort of uh, this is a, something that grows in the ground. It's a plant. It's not from a laboratory and there's uh, it's not refined in uh, like, you know, and it's uh, I feel like it's if it was frying people's brains that we would we would probably know about it. And like there, it's, uh, it's the same way, like, uh, how do you know you can't overdo? on mushrooms like okay i mean i guess maybe it's possible but it seems like from the mountain of anecdotal evidence that we have that that's not something that happens right but let's let's just talk about this idea of like and i hear this all the time oh it's plant medicine go to the plant how could it be bad it's part of nature and by the way i do subscribe to the fact that like there are plants out there that through time you know in memoriam have been used by tribal you know, shamanistic um, societies in order to, as Huxley would say, break open the doors of perception that live beyond this very limited reality that we seem to adhere to. But that said, there are lots of other natural things that are plant and nature based that are not good for you. Um, arsenic, you can people ingest arsenic, but arsenic will kill you. In fact, people actually have used throughout the centuries arsenic to kill themselves over time. Yeah, so, I guess you, you'd need the evidence, like who are all these people who are doing ayahuasca and then coming out, you know, like super fucked up afterwards, because like people do arsenic and then they die. And then that's how we know. <laughs> true. Um, ah, grand, uh, grandiose disorder uh, is, 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 is the, it's when you think you're actually sort of omnipotent and, uh, and this is something that has been pegged to people who do hallucinogenics, who see, you know, beyond the third or fourth or fifth dimension into areas that they think and believe, which we know that this is a teacher, um, uh, break the sort of the walls of our sort of two-dimensional reality that there is more beyond this day-to-day -day reality that we have. But this notion that we do live in a present-day social uh, cultural environment, and let's just say, for example, that, you know, 10% uh, even of the population were were running around doing hallucinogenics all the time and trying to participate in a um, uh, sort of structured society as we all do. Otherwise, there would be madness and chaos, and sometimes there is. How, how do we think of hallucinogenics as part of our everyday world relative to society being held in a very sort of uh, um, uh, temperamental balance. How do we, well, how do, yeah. I mean, I would say like our day-to-day -day society is super broken and fucked up and problematic and like the world of ayahuasca and uh, is presenting an antidote to that that is trying to heal us and bring us into a better way of thinking and, and living. Right, um, but you're suggesting though that the, um, that, it would be better, and I agree with you, but it would be better if more of us did ayahuasca type uh, plant medicine all the time and that society would just be structured and built and operated around that experience. I mean, all the time is not something that I'm arguing for. I think many people have just one experience on uh, ayahuasca or other psychedelics and find it to be life changing. And, uh, you, know, uh, you know, I think different people require different uh, 
doses. I mean, I, I think maybe why, why don't we keep playing that uh, HBO clip? Because I think we were getting to, you know, we were kind of setting up this hockey player and the problems he's dealing with and then, you know, hear him on the other side within this uh, clip. Salvation in these boiling pots, brewing up a cocktail of a potent drug, one so powerful that it's banned across most of the world. The drug is called ayahuasca, and it's a psychedelic known to shock the brain and create intense hallucinations. Just for a second, uh, what ayahuasca actually is, is a combination of ayahuasca and DMT. And it's brewed together in this uh, sort of cauldron type thing, I believe, for like over a month in order to get the, the actual substance created. So Tell, peop tell people what DMT is. Uh, it stands for something that I can never pronounce, dimethyltryptophate or something like that, uh, which I believe is actually the same uh, substance found in toads for toad licking, you know, sort of thing. And also, interestingly enough, uh, we all have a little bit of it in our brains. And when we die, a little bit of DMT gets released. So I always find it fascinating that uh, DMT is actually uh, illegal uh, and we all have it within our brains all the time. So we're walking around with an illegal substance on us at all times. Right. And DMT is often, uh, I think, uh, referred to as the spirit mo molecule. Yeah. And you can do, and I have never done this, you can do DMT on its own, which is some sort of intense sort of like five minute to 10 minute experience that like sounds to me, uh, you know, uh, fairly overwhelming. But maybe we'll save that for a different episode because I think that's a, a whole nother deep dive. Yeah. Um, but why don't we keep going with this clip and uh, get through with our hockey player's adventure? hours, during which time he felt he experienced a reunion with his long-dead grandparents. That was the most amazing experience. Grandparents came to me. Unbelievable. This is not some hippie dude. This is not like, you know, some L.A. coastal elite guys not going to Burning Man. This is like a hardcore hockey player. And I think same thing with all these military guys who go and I'm not putting myself in their category. But I'm, also, I'm a pretty like cynical, like don't need the latest flavor of the month bullshit like kind of thing and ready to like call hippie bullshit where it is. And I think, you know, there's something interesting about people like this guy and and these military guys all all turning to this substance and having these experiences and being like wow this is mind blowing yeah and so i am a huge proponent of this and i guess i'm a huge proponent of it from the perspective of using these uh hallucinogenics lsd in particular um perhaps ayahuasca to treat um specific psychological psychosomatic ailments that plague people in the form of depression, in the form of um, end-of-life uh, therapies, in the form of PTSD, etc. I guess my struggle with um, the overuse of ayahuasca is that it is recreationally, and I, my word again, my criticism, irresponsibly used in environments that don't lend themselves to actually or apply to people who um, know better. They're just trying out a new drug. And MAPS, which is an organization that I know quite well, stands for the Multidisciplinary Association of Psychedelic Studies. Um, you know, they're doing double blind studies, placebo controlled studies of the therapeutic use of LSD. And they've been doing this in humans since the 1970s. The person who started MAPS um, has been a huge pioneer. Um, they have a vast treasure 
trove of knowledge and scientific experience, and they're setting up clinical environments because they believe that its most um, powerful use is to treat people perhaps like this NHL player and others. My concern is that what happens is so many of these hallucinogenics experiences, and I've been part of that, certainly having tried a few of them, do it in an environment for a reason that don't particularly align with the reason why you could or should be using these these drugs. Well, you're well-versed in Buddhist meditation and Buddhist concepts. Uh, like, Do you think any of us are free from suffering? Aren't we all existing in a, a state uh, of dukkha and suffering and have a need to be healed and like confront things within ourselves and our anxieties and our fears? Absolutely. And all I'm suggesting is, is that having someone who has tried many of these, these drugs and doing and have done them in moderation, I should say, I wouldn't give up any of those experiences for the life of me. And I do believe that so many of so many of those experiences, perhaps everyone I've had, has opened me up to healing aspects of my experience and my suffering. What I'm concerned about is the level of extreme and abuse that uh, popularizes these drugs in a way that undermines the real medicinal therapeutic value that they provide. And then, you know, but it who, makes who it- are these people that are like, I know, you know, this one guy, but like, I know lots of people have done it. I've been at many ceremonies and I, I don't recognize this, uh, this wellspring of people who are of problematic usage of ayahuasca that needs to be stopped. I think that there are plenty of people in, uh, certainly on the coasts, that are using hallucinogenics for recreational socializing purposes. And they're doing it- Am, am I using a, it for recreational socializing purposes? Well, it doesn't sound like you are. I mean, um, but at the same time, you know, you're doing, you've done it 10 times in how many years? Mm, I mean, the first time I did it was, you know, 20 years ago, but like uh, I, the rest of my experiences have been within the past three to four years. Yeah, see, to me- that's too many times. But based on what? <laughs> but but what I'm suggesting wait, wait, is... But how are you... So I, I'm interested with how concretely you believe this thing in your head, and I'm wondering what foundation you have when I've actually... I've lived this... I feel like we run into this in other episodes. I'm telling you about my lived experience and how wonderful this, this medicine has been for me and uh, the deepest spiritual experience I've had in my life and led me to... Uh, I mean, we haven't even really gotten into it of the closure it's given to me with some of the issues that I've had with family members, uh, the connection that has brought me to my own Judaism and how I began doing Torah study afterwards as a control freak, which is maybe something you can uh, relate to. It was probably like the biggest and most sort of uh, feeling of letting that go and actually submitting to a higher power that I've had in my life. And just overall, I've found to be, you know, wonderfully healing and uh spiritually nourishing so you know to it feels weird to have lived that experience and then to discuss it with you and be like well i know this guy who's an asshole who took it and i think you're taking it too much and it's a problem that needs to be curtailed well i'm not going to that extreme but i understand and respect where you're coming from and i'm not suggesting that your experience wasn't authentic and valid i guess i'm speaking more at the macro level and globally that i do in my experience and once again 
I have a similar experience as you uh, in terms of when I've done these things, um, that they are profound life-changing experiences. I think as well, though, it's like there's ayahuasca vacations, practically. People are like taking- No, literally there are. Yeah. Yeah. There's like ayahuasca vacations. And I, I guess that I'm I'm trying to advocate, I suppose, for the use of these therapeutic, these medicinal uh, hallucinogenics in a more controlled pre, during, and post uh, uh, so, experience. I, and I would argue that going on one of these ayahuasca vacations is probably the best way to do it and to wait until like some Johns Hopkins scientist invites you to a clinic and you do it in a white room with a blindfold on is going to be not not I, I think it's the ceremony that goes on around it to do it with a train yeah you know, i want it to be with a trained shaman with someone who's got experience to it but like I, I i feel like you're clinging to this very western rationalist analytical view of it without sort of taking into account that this is from a different culture an indigenous sort of uh medicine that's been used for thousands of years within uh the you know uh, these cultures in a way that's considered holy and to be like no that's the wrong way to do it you need to bring it to this clinic at nyu or johns hopkins and do these double blind studies on it and then have uh you know these people who've been trained a certain way tell you what to do afterwards is the right way to do it which to me seems kind of backwards yeah that's not that's not what i'm saying i'm i'm actually agreeing with you that these are sacred, medicinal, uh, plant-based hallucinogenic experiences that have been going on for thousands of years, likely, um, and that they are um, absolutely part of the experience of that particular culture. I think what happened was it was brought into the Western. I've it was brought into a Western environment, and. It got abused and used in ways that actually undermines the very sort of nature of its tribal indigenous um, uh, uh, application. And I think the people, I'm not advocating for only doing it in therapeutic Johns Hopkins or NYU environments. What I'm saying is there is an opportunity in our Western society for people who do suffer from very severe ailments like depression and PTSD as two examples for it to be more widely applied and used and that we should also focus on that as many organizations specifically like MAPS are focused on because if it's not done in that way and it's actually used by people who are who are the sort of um, purveyors of these types of hallucinogenic experiences in a quasi-shamanic, quasi-recreational environment, we're going to miss the opportunity that these plant medicines provide us. I think you're getting at something that was a big problem with the psychedelic movement in like the 60s with Timothy Leary, and then it just got wide, opened up way too wide, and then it was easy for society to dismiss it and, and bury it afterwards as a way, instead of like treating it uh, the way it should have been originally and done respectfully and, in, and integrated it in, into society in a way that was sustainable. Um, so I get, you know, partially where you're coming from. I just like, you're describing a foreign scenario to me of these these people, these these people who are doing it and having 
bad stuff happen to them or they're assholes or just, you know, they're partying with it. Or like, I'm just telling you, like, that's not who I encounter and that I've been to a lot of these ceremonies. And to me, it's just such like an overwhelmingly like positive, beneficial uh, force for uh, individuals and so much of what we need in society right now to have a conversation with it where like half the time we're skewing to it being negative or problematic or uh, be careful or be worried about it like it, I feel like is doing a disservice to to uh, listeners because so often I think our culture sort of breeds this be afraid of this be scared you know it, and I'm not go, saying go, be I'm not saying be afraid and be scared I'm saying that or there, there's something bad about it. Whereas I'm, I'm not like, saying I, there's I, something bad about it. I'm saying be mindful and conscious that us doing, and I'm exactly that person too, having done it in a yoga studio or in a, you know, a Western environment, um, you know, these, and, and I had profound experiences like it sounds like you've had as well. All I'm suggesting is, is that there is a, potency and a power contained in these plants and in the same way that there is a sacredness that lives indigenously and authentically in these tribal indigenous societies from thousands and thousands of years when someone probably first happened upon you know the combination of leaves that make up the ayahuasca tea that we should be as mindful and conscious about this not be afraid of it at all in fact quite the contrary we should cultivate it in a way that can help as many people as possible because it is a breakthrough chemical that basically opens up uh, our minds in ways that helps people get past um, ailments like PTSD and depression that they could never imagine getting past, whether it was with a pharma traditional pharmaceutical or talk therapy or shock therapy for that matter. It's helping people in a major, major way. And I think we've entered a new era um, where hallucinogenics specifically, because there's a lot happening with LSD, um, that can help people in a therapeutic way. Let's not forget that in, it was in the 40s that lysergic acid, LSD, was invented by the government for mind control purposes. It got out into the world, and people like Timothy Leary and Richard Alpert turned Ramdas. And, and, and the 60s beat, and beat generations turned it into um, mind expanding. So, oops, government kind of fucked up there. And then they tried to shut it down and then they scheduled it into schedule. I thought L LSD was the guy on the bicycle, like uh, Albert Hoffman. He wasn't a government guy. Uh, the government is completely behind the development of LSD. Do you know Albert Hoffman and his yeah. bicycle trip? Yeah. How is the government behind him? Okay, well, let's, 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 we might need another episode for that to talk about the government and LSD and the history. I, I of believe LSD. the government certainly uh, manipulated LSD. I just don't think they originated it. Okay, what I'm saying is the government propagated the use of LSD um, is responsible for actually getting out into the world based upon the Fair experimentation. Enough. Okay. Yeah, I guess uh, I'm a little bit curious about the experience that you had on it because the way you, like to me, I very much do not lump it together with LSD and, and mushrooms. I feel like it's really qualitatively like uh, in its own category where it can't be uh, kind of grouped together with other things like that. Do you feel like they're all just sort of like in a pod together? Well, I, I mean, there's definitely qualitatively different experiences between, my experience, between LSD, mushrooms, and and, and ayahuasca. They're all mind-altering drugs, okay? That's the big sort of prosaic bucket uh, sort of catch-all. But 
the experience is obviously different, but the qualitative, at least in my experience, the qualitative and experiential nature of breaking the bounds of our limited view and experience of this so-called day-to-day reality um, relative to whichever drug you're doing or whichever plant you're doing um, is the altering piece, the piece that breaks through, you know, breaks your mind into another dimension to say, holy shit, they said that this wasn't all there is. That this isn't all there is. There's more to this experience, and we are just living 0.001% or pick a number of, of that experience. Holy fuck. The question is, and having had an experience with something that I think is also a little even crazier, don't recommend it, um, salvia divinorum, which is a plant as well, mo- found mostly near Oaxaca, Mexico, um, uh, there was a moment and this is not the ayahuasca experience, but there was a moment where, and many people will will repeat this moment in their experience of it, where you're not sure you want to come back into this reality and this body in the way you remembered it to be because you've gotten now a glimpse of what's possible. Now with ayahuasca, at least how it's been told to me by you and others, and my experience is that it's more of a coming well, you describe, because you've had 10 of these experiences, I've had one, and it was 20 years ago. But qualitatively, experientially, how would you describe the trip that is ayahuasca versus the trip that is mushrooms since you've done mushrooms? Um, yeah, I've done LSD too. Um, I feel like um, it's much more immersive. It's much more introspective. It's much more excavating uh things within your own psyche uh repressed memories uh childhood experiences uh i think sort of whatever you've been putting in whatever garbage you've been putting in the closet that you thought uh, you were just getting rid of by tucking it away ayahuasca is going to come and grab it and pull it out and put it in your face and be like who are you hiding this from and kind of like uh it's much more of a we are here to do do the, some work like ayahuasca than either mushrooms or LSD ever were uh, in a in my psychoanalytical experience. way and in every way you're you're it is we are breaking down this this idea that it's your your brain and your body are individually going on their own journeys that's part of the vomiting and the whole experience is like no it's a holistic we are all in it together way yeah and and, and why and to do me, you do that's wh- why it's such a game changer versus like mushrooms or LSD which I also uh, am I advocate of and a fan of, but I do think that it's such a like sort of a different realm to go in that I feel like it's clear it's important to sort of clarify that for for people who might think that they're oh all hallucinogens are the same kind of thing. Right. So shy of the word immersive because these are all very very immersive experiences. Uh, well, but I mean, like you can't even move. Like I couldn't figure out how to put on a sweater. Like, you yeah, know, it's sort of, it's sort of like when I'm when I'm on mushrooms, I can go for a walk in the woods and talk with friends and stuff. I, I remember vividly True. having an experience where I'm like, should I go for a second shot? 
And I, I was trying to put on my sweater. I was like, I can't even figure out how to put on clothing right now. I don't think I need more of this substance, you know, sort of like, so it can be like in this, you are, you're flattened, you know, metaphorically and sometimes almost literally of like, this is, you're, you're, you're here to meet the dirt mother goddess and uh, the plant force of the universe. And it's going to show you some stuff and you're going to, you know, kind of like lose, you know, that ego, I'm in control side of your brain and be like, okay, like, how, how can I serve you plant goddess? Mm-hmm. And I know I sound like some huge hippie and I'm just telling you, it's like, it's not even, it's not even to me like a debate. Is it like this? Or is it like, it's like an a priori experience of like, oh, this is what it feels like to be connected to the planet and to have that sort of profound, you know, uh, you know, sort of, uh, you know, going someplace, you know, psychologically and, and spiritually is, is an, it's like an overwhelming experience. And so I think that's why I've been sort of like uh, taking the role I've been taking in this conversation is because I do feel out of everyone I've ever seen do it, even people who have had a very challenging experience, because it's not always pleasant. I don't, I don't think I've ever met any of them who uh, didn't feel happy afterwards that they had done it, even the people who, so I think that's what's interesting to me is like, this is a drug where you might spend hours vomiting and feeling ill and dealing with trauma and you know crying or uh, other things and then afterwards you're going to be like wow thank god i did that and so like that is not something that i you know uh, always equate with other psychedelics mm-hmm. well and the, th- the thing that yeah. i'll i think where we probably we come together and overlap is this idea of like it is important that it be treated as something sacred and that, you know, yes. this is not just some like kind of I met this dude at Burning Man and he's, he's we're going to like go like, you know, in his backyard, like, uh, you know, or whatever, you know, I, I'm partying in Tulum and there's some random thing. It's like do it with a shaman who's trained do it with a proper amount of respect go in knowing that this is like kind of like a holy spiritual experience and you're not there just to party or like you know maybe i'm gonna like uh pick up some some girls or something like that that it's the you're going in there to do the work and that was a phrase that came to me over and over again when i was on it you're here to do the work and so yeah I, and i i think I, that's the way to think about it i appreciate and respect that and i'm probably and 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 have only seen it done that way um certainly in my experience and in the time since I I've done it, uh, having done other things in the meantime, I've seen lots of, and I mean lots of people who decided that they they could now lead a ceremony. Like what the fuck? Based on what you you just put it on your resume and now you're a you're an ayahuasca <laughs> shaman? Hey, you started a fucking it's blog. On, it's on his LinkedIn. It's, it's on LinkedIn, his LinkedIn. Right there. Therefore. Right. And so that's probably my where my cynicism comes from. But getting past that cynicism and feeling the nature and the power of having the experience, but also the nature of the power as you describe your experience. Um, look, I, I wish for everyone that they have at least one ayahuasca experience for everyone. If only just to see that this isn't all there is and all the things that we attach ourselves and think are so incredibly brutally important. And we got, we get caught up in it all day, every day, even those of us who should know better based upon these mind altering, expanding experiences. Um, I wish it for everyone just doing it in a very conscious way, doing it sounds like you've done it, which is 
with a really a true shaman who has lived the experience for a long time from the areas where these plants you know arise and even and, if it and is, the music is a big part of the ceremony that I think if people totally. are missing out on that they're they're also missing out on uh an aspect of, of the ceremony that can be powerful and, and part of, you know, like we said, set and setting the context, the, the, the approach that you're taking and how much that can determine how you feel about something too. Yeah. It's, uh, it's profound. It brings me back to, um, having a couple of these experiences and I haven't had one or gone on a trip, uh, or had a, a ceremony a long, long time. But, um, What's interesting, and you probably can relate to this, especially given that you've done it in the last three or four years, um, I can bring up the feeling tone of the experience instantaneously, uh, anytime, anywhere, if we're talking about something like this. Like, it's pretty fucking powerful. It is non-linear. It just exists, and you can't, it can't not ever not exist again. Yeah, it's uh, well, you know, your your maps guys, and uh, you know, they've done some studies on what what are mystical experiences, and it's got all the telltale, you know, sort of trademarks of of a mystical experience. So I, I think that's, you know, we get into, uh, you know, that's something that's missing from a lot of people's lives these days. And if we can give it to them, uh, you know, in a way that's, you know, uh, healthy and, and mindfully administered, that 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 might help a lot of people. Because yeah, like. A lot of times what I think is most dangerous right now in our society is just like doing nothing and going along with, with what's happening, going along with capitalism and our politics and our, our technology and our values and just being like, yeah, I'm just doing what everyone else is doing. It's like, well, it's, it ain't working out that great for everyone else or for a lot of us, you know, that there's, there's something wrong with our current sort of uh, Western predatory capitalism the, and the food we eat and the medicine we take and uh, the values that we have and like you know I do feel that uh, in a lot of ways uh, ayahuasca gives people a glimpse of something that's the antidote it doesn't mean that it instantly solves solves them or fixes stuff it can but I, I think it's that that glimpse at least and so yeah I agree with you if uh, everyone at least you know was able to try it in a, a kind of setting where it was administered responsibly I think that'd be a great thing for society and, and the one thing last thing I might say on this subject is that when and if you do these experiences, um, find a way to pay attention to the experience and the journey that you had in ways that it can positively impact and get integrated into your life and positively impact your relationships and every other aspect of your life so that it is it becomes a gift that keeps on giving. Yeah. And one of the things that I found interesting was with the shaman that I, I've done ceremonies with, people will have a lot of questions and he's very much not into answering them. And it's about, it's a relationship between you and the plant and, and, you know, don't, and like you can go in with some amount of intention as to why you're there, but like also be willing to kind of go where this, the plant takes you and that it's, it's, there's some like sort of, you know, uh, earthly wisdom going on through it that, you know, you got to get out of your, uh, you know, sort of rational question asking brain and just be like, okay, I'm along for this ride. Let's see where we go. I, 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 I love that. I think it was to paraphrase, um, Einstein, uh, he said, you can't solve the problems of the mind at the level of the mind. Ooh, that's good. That guy was smart. He was kind of a <laughs> smart dude. Yeah. So, 
let's go back to this clip of our hockey player from HBO's Real Sports. And I will say in the media, probably the best sort of explanation of it I've seen was on that Netflix show, Unwell, which we talked about in a previous episode. Overall, I didn't like that show, but the ayahuasca episode was actually really well done. So I would say that's a good place for people to deep dive. And also Chelsea Handler on her show on Netflix went and did ayahuasca and it's amusing. I don't know if it's the best explanation, but you know, it's pretty amusing to watch and she really does get some clarity at the end. But here we're back to our hockey player. Silo says he was a changed man, cured, he says, of all that ailed him. Little to no anxiety or depression, and all of those other things that I described, light sensitivity, slurred speech, headaches, head pressure, short-term, long-term memory loss, concentration issues, insomnia. I do not suffer from any of those symptoms any longer. Gone? Gone. And so it's it's fascinating to me that here's a guy who's not like some some new agey type. Like to me, it's almost like this, I don't want to say it's like proof positive, but like I don't think this guy would be, or, or maybe it's like some placebo effect thing, I guess would be the best argument for it, that just he was looking for something. But I do think there's the uh, medicinal quality to what, what ayahuasca does, where it really like excavates on some core level things that people aren't, you know, dealing with uh, when they have problems like these. Yeah. I, I love the idea that you said that you sounded like a hippie and maybe in part you are. Who knows? Maybe I am too. I'm part hippie, sure. Part hippie. I, I, I subscribe to the part hippie. Can't but go, I, do, I can't go full throttle, but I, yeah. I'm, I'm a little bit there. But I do like the idea that people who you would not expect uh, using these kinds of medicinal therapeutics mm. are those who are willing to use them come out the other side and realize that uh, they are of value. Totally. All right. Well, I think we've uh, had a, an excellent deep dive into ayahuasca. Uh, I mean, if we had to sum it up in you know some some tidy ending, I don't think there's an easy way to do that. But for me, it's definitely been a, a, a well experience, and uh, you know, I'm I'm grateful for having been exposed to it, and I'm excited to do it again once you know lockdown is done kind of feel a need to re revisit. And yeah, I think, you know, if anyone out there is interested in doing it, I think, you know, the best path is if you know someone who you trust, who has a resource to look at it that way. I do think there's very reputable places to do it, like look it up online where you can book trips and kind of do something in the jungle in the uh, way it's originally intended. And then, you know, like, you know, I do think that there's forums on Reddit and other ways like that to get into it. But yeah, be careful. Don't just go for some, you know, sort of uh, fly by night operation but you know I, I think you know there's ways to seek it out and have uh, wonderful experiences with it and i encourage people to do that yeah it seems to me that uh but for some of the sort of hellish physicalizations of the experience whether it's the vomiting or things like that all good things come with some challenges uh that overall um you know expanding our minds beyond our uh what might otherwise be described as two-dimensional uh, view of the world uh, would perhaps uh, improve the health and wellness of uh, everyone and society. All right. Sounds good. Anything else to add? I'm good.
Thanks for listening to Hell and Wellness. I'm Rob Kramer. And I'm Matt Ruby. You can subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts, and you can leave voice messages for us at anchor.fm slash Wellness. That's anchor.fm slash Wellness. You can also see all the shows there. And you can email us at hellandwellness at gmail.com. And if you remember, please uh, rate us and review us on uh, Apple Podcasts. Say something nice. Thanks for listening. This podcast is produced by Stereoactive Media.